Chapter Four of *The Girl Who Had Nothing* by Mrs. C. N. Williamson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Allison. The steam yacht Titania. She did wait for three quarters of an hour, and at the end of that time, the manager received a reply to his letter. In consequence. He told Joan that Lady John Bevan would see her at Kensington Park Mansions. As soon as the girl heard the name of Lady John Bevan, she knew why the yacht was for sale, and was hopeful that the eccentric proposition she meant to make might be received with favour. Lord John Bevan was in prison for the crime of forgery, committed after losing a fortune at Monte Carlo. Joan took another cab to Kensington Park, Mansions, a mean shelter for a woman whose environment had once been brilliant. But Lady John, a tall and peculiarly elegant woman, shone out like a jewel in an unworthy setting. The two women looked at each other with admiration, and there was eagerness in the elder's voice as she said, "'You want to buy the Titania, Miss Mordaunt?' "'I'm not sure yet, till I've tried to see how I like her,' replied Joan. "'That's fair, isn't it? "'What I want, if I see the yacht, "'take a fancy to her, and we can come to terms, "'is to hire the Titania for a while. "'Then, at the end of that time, "'if I don't buy her myself, "'I'll sell her for you to somebody else. "'That's a promise. "'What would you want for your yacht for a couple of months, "'all in working order, "'and the captain and the crew's money included?' Five hundred pounds,' returned Lady John. "'You can see her at Cowes.' "'Well, I don't mind telling you that's more than I expected. "'I'm G. B. Mordaunt's niece, "'and some day, I suppose, I shall be one of the richest women in America, "'but my money's tied up till I'm twenty-five. "'I've only an allowance, and Uncle Grierson, who's my guardian, is as hard as nails. "'I'll tell you what I can do, though. "'I have some shares which are worth a lot of money, "'but I don't want to deal with them myself, as their value is a secret.' and my uncle would be mad with me if he knew I was using it. What I was going to say is this. The shares I speak of are worth mighty little to those who aren't in the know, and a lot to those who are. If you'll call tomorrow morning at ten o'clock on a stockbroker in the city, whose address I'll give you, and tell him you've a block of clarios to dispose of, he'll jump at the offer. All you must do is stand firm, and you can get eight hundred pounds out of him. If he says they're no good, just let your eyes twinkle and tell him G.B. Mordaunt's niece has been talking to you. That will settle Mr. George Gallon. Keep your five hundred for the yacht, and give the three hundred change to me. Of course, this is provided I like the yacht. You give me an order to see her at Cowes. I'll start at once. Why are you what I think of her, and if it's all right, I'll call there first thing in the morning with the share certificates." Carried away by the girl's magnetism and dash, Lady John Bevan would have said yes to almost anything. She said yes now, with a promptness which surprised herself. She thought of it afterwards, by the cold light of reason. Joan arrived at Cowes before dark, and was delighted with the Titania and her crew. She wired her approval to Lady John, and telegraphed Tommy Mellis, asking him to meet her at Waterloo for the eleven o'clock train from Southampton, bringing the share certificates which had that morning been Mitchison's. She was sure Tommy would not fail, and he did not. They had supper together in the grill-room of the Carlton, as Joan was not in evening dress. 
she told him all she chose to tell and no more and thus ended the busiest day of joan carthew's life the transaction in which lady john bevan was to act as cat's paw came off next morning as the girl had expected and she would have given something handsome if she could have seen george gallon's face when he found himself obliged to pay for the very shares he had expected to obtain yesterday four times what he had intended to offer mitchison his profit would now be small when the great coup came off still he could not afford to refuse the chance and joan knew it some day she meant that he should also know to whom he owed his defeat but that day was not yet for the shares sold by Mitchison, he had received two hundred pounds. A like sum, Joan agreed to place in Tommy's hands as part profit of the transaction, and when Lady John Bevan was paid for the two months' hire of the Titania, the girl would have a hundred pounds over to play with, as she expressed it to herself. The other shares which Mitchison was pledged to obtain from Genoa would be available within the next few days, and Joan had made up her mind what to do with them by and by she had had several inspirations since overhearing snatches of a conversation between her employer and his italian visitor yesterday morning and one of these inspirations concerned lady john bevan lady john was pitied by the old friends in the old life from which poverty and misfortune had removed her people would have been glad to be nice to her in any cheap way which did not cost too much money or trouble if she had let them but the woman was a proud woman who still loved her husband in spite of his guilt, and she had not cared to go out of her hired flat in Kensington to be patronized by the world which had once flattered and fought for her invitations. Joan guessed as much of this as she did not know, and when Lady John wished her rather wistfully a pleasant cruise, the girl said suddenly, "'Come along and be my chaperone. My Aunt Caroline, Uncle Grierson Mordaunt's sister, came to England with me, but she hates the sea and flatly refuses to do any yachting. I'm not sorry, because she's a prim old dear, and what I want is to see a little life and fun. I've been kept very close till now, and though I'm of age, I'm only just out, so I don't know many people, and you would be sure to meet lots of nice friends of yours to whom you'd introduce me. It's so foggy and horrid here now. I'm going to make straight for the Riviera with the Titania, and it will do you good. Please come." Lady John could not resist the prospect, or that please, spoken cooingly with lovely pleading eyes and a childlike touch on her arm. Besides, she was fond of the Titania, and before she quite knew what she was doing, she had promised to chaperone Grierson Mordaunt's niece. Considering the way in which she was handicapped by false pretenses and shortness of cash, Joan could not have done better for herself. She told Lady John that she had had a disagreement with the friends with whom she had been staying, and wished to be recommended to a hotel for the few days before they could get off on the Titania. Of course, Lady John invited her to the flat, and the girl accepted. She asked her new chaperone's advice about dressmakers and milliners for the Riviera outfit, which must be got together in a hurry. Lady John had paid all her own bills after the crash, with money grudgingly supplied by relations, and was still in the good books of the tradespeople she had once lavishly patronized. Introduced by her as a niece of the well-known American millionaire, Joan had unlimited credit to procure unlimited pretty things. Everything had to be bought ready-made, and at the end of the week the steam-yacht Titania, with Miss Jenny Mordaunt and Lady John Bevan, on board, 
was bounding gaily over the bright waters of the bay. A few days later the Titania made one of a colony of other yachts lying snugly in Nice Harbour. Now Joan's wisdom in the choice of a chaperone justified itself even more pointedly than when it had been a question of a pilot among the shoals of tradespeople. Lady John believed in her young charge, whose statements concerning her engaging self had never occurred to the elder woman to doubt. Having undertaken the duties of a chaperone, she was conscientious in carrying them out, and lost no time in picking up friendships which might be valuable to Miss Mordaunt. Just how valuable, or in what way, Lady John little dreamed. Not only did she know a number of rich and entitled English folk who had come out to spend the cold months at their villas, or in fashionable hotels at Nice, Monte Carlo, and Mentone, but she could claim acquaintance with various foreign royalties and personages of high degree. These latter especially were delighted to meet the beautiful American girl, who was so rich and independent that she travelled about the world on her own yacht. It was nobody's business that the Titania was but hired for two months since it was Miss Mordaunt's pleasure to pose as the owner. The name of the yacht had been changed for politic reasons, since gay Lord John had careered about the waterways of the world in her. She had been newly decorated, and the colour of her paint had undergone a change, therefore she could pass unrecognised by all save experts. Joan and her chaperone kept open house on board. The luncheon-table was always late for twelve, in case any one strolled in on the morning whom it would be agreeable to detain. On fine days, and what days were not fine on these shores beloved of the sun, tea was always served on deck under the rose-and-white awning, and Russian princes, Austrian barons and baronesses, French counts and countesses, with a sprinkling of the English nobility, came early and stayed late to drink the orange pekoe and eat the exquisite little cakes provided by the confiding tradespeople of Nice. Joan paid for nothing, and got everything. Was she not a great American heiress, and was not the yacht alone a guarantee of her trustworthiness? Not even the owners of famous American yachts lying alongside suspected the girl to be other than she seemed, although they were of the world in which Grierson Mordaunt was prominent. He was not a man who made intimate friends and none of those who knew him best had any reason to doubt that he had a pretty niece named Jenny. Concerning the great Mordaunt himself, Joan kept posted as to his whereabouts. She read the papers and followed his movements in Florida. Therefore she felt safe and pursued her business more or less calmly. For her it was business more than pleasure which had brought the girl on this adventure, though she knew how to combine the two. Her hospitality, her breakfasts, her tea and cakes, her lavish dinners— were not supplied to her guests for nothing, though they were not aware that they were paying save by the honour of their presence. When Joan had established friendly relations with a person worth cultivating, she abjured all others. Her next step was to drop a careless word about a wonderful tip she had got from Grierson Mordaunt. "'It's all in the family,' she would say, laughing, or he would never have given it away, and of course I mustn't. He just said to me, "'Buy up a certain thing when you can get it,' and I did.' "'My goodness, I've got more than I know what to do with, "'for, after all, I had more money than I wanted before. "'By and by I shall be too rich. "'Mercy, I'm afraid now of being married for my money.' "'Then the hearers, dazzled by this fairy story, "'wondered whether they might possibly ask Miss Mordaunt "'if they could profit by the marvellous tip "'and pick up a few crumbs from her overflowing table. "'If Joan had hawked her wares, "'no doubt these people would have fought shy. 
but as the object was difficult of attainment and must be manoeuvred for according to the way of the world they struggled for it with eagerness as soon as joan could decently appear to understand in her innocence what her dear friends were driving at she was so good-natured that she volunteered to sell them a few of her own shares the only promise she exacted in return was that nobody would boast of the favour granted the shares which she had bought at a low price not yet paid she sold for three times their face value sent half the profit to tommy mellis as she got it in and pocketed her own half she was thus able to pay the tradespeople who had trusted her and to lay the coal for trips around the coast which the titania often took with a few distinguished passengers the girl could have sung for joy over the success of her adventure in the end she would cheat nobody she would make a decent sum for herself and meanwhile she was drinking the intoxicating nectar of excitement she was so happy that when she had finished her business sold all her shares and the two months for which the titania was hired were drawing to an end she longed to stay on she was her own mistress and could pay her way now at least for a while until she had another stroke of luck which her confidence in herself enabled her to count upon as certain she and lady john were having a good time everybody liked them she did not see why this good time should not go on indefinitely besides she had promised to sell the yacht for its owner the two ladies of the titania had invitations for a month ahead and one evening were dressed and waiting for the arrival of an english bishop a roman prince two american trust magnates and a french duchess and her daughter when the name of mr grierson mordaunt was announced joan's blood rushed to her head but she stood up smiling leave us for a minute dear she breathed to lady john who slipped off to her cabin unsuspectingly the girl found herself facing a grizzled smooth-shaven man with a prominent chin a large nose and deep eyes of iron grey which matched his hair and faded skin so you are the young woman who has been trading on a supposed relationship to me remarked grierson mordaunt looking her up and down from head to foot we are related through adam replied joan whose lips were dry as for trading on the relationship i'm proud of it and i don't see why you should be ashamed of me i've done nothing to disgrace you what is your game that you should have selected my particular branch of the adam family because i have one of your family secrets if you're going to disown me there's no reason why i shouldn't give it away what are you talking about clarios you aren't ready for the secret of that deal to come out yet are you i saw in the paper the other day that you had denied any intention of taking the clario line into your combine it was the same paper that said you had just returned to new york from florida you are an adventuress my young friend every seeker of fortune is an adventurer or an adventuress the crime is failure i'm not a criminal because i'm succeeding and my success has enabled me to meet my obligations if you don't think that i was justified in claiming relationship with you through so remoter an ancestor in common as adam you can make the rest of my stay here very uncomfortable i admit and if you have no fellow-feeling for a beginner i suppose you will do it how long do you intend your stay to be inquired mordaunt grimly with a twinkle in his eye how long do you want it kept dark about clerios a fortnight well then i should like it very much if you don't mind to stop here for a fortnight the great man laughed you've the pluck of the evil one he ejaculated 
I was in Paris and read about one of my niece's smart dinner parties, so I came on, especially to see you. Now, now you are here, won't you stop to one of the dinner parties? Some very nice people are coming this evening. And play the part of fond uncle. No, I thank you. But by Jove, I'm hanged if I don't go away without unmasking you. You may bless your pretty face and your smart tongue for that. And the family secret. That's part of it, but not all. I give you a fortnight's grace. Mind, not a day more. And respect the character you've stolen meanwhile, or the promise doesn't stand. This day fortnight you clear out, and Miss Jenny Mordaunt must never be heard of again. It's a bargain, said Joan. By some other name I shall be as great. So long as it's not mine. Have you done well with Clario's? Pretty well, thank you. I was a little hampered for lack of capital. I might get you a few shares here in Nice, if you like. Not cheap, exactly. Still, a good deal lower than they will be a fortnight from now. Much obliged. You needn't trouble yourself, but I shall keep an eye on you. I shall consider it a compliment, said Joan, and try to be worthy of it. Good-bye. Good-bye. When he was gone, Joan sank into a chair and closed her eyes. It would have been a comfort to faint, but the first guest arrived at that moment, and she rose to them and to the occasion. The dinner was a great success, and every one was grieved to hear that the Titania was due to steam away for a destination unmentioned in a fortnight. End of chapter 4 Recording by Lynn Allison